Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Zibby Owens, and this is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. As a mom of four kids and a writer myself, I know all too well how short everyone is on time, so I'm here to help. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Nini's Treats, N-E-N-E-S, Treats, ninistreats.com, an amazing family-owned and operated crumb cake business based in Charleston, South Carolina. You can buy their delicious crumb cakes at ninistreats.com or on goldbelly.com. Nini's Treats, you won't leave a crumb. I'm really excited to be talking to Jeff Norton today. Jeff is the award-winning author, writer, producer, and founder of Awesome, a UK-based production and publishing company. He has written many books from the Metawar series and the children's book Stomp School to his latest release, Alienated, Grounded at Groom Lake. A graduate of Queen's University Canada and Harvard Business School, he currently lives in London with his wife and two sons. So welcome, Jeff, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to be here. And we are joined today for the first time ever by a special guest interviewer, Owen Wright, age 11, one of your biggest fans. So I've brought him along to help me ask you some questions about your amazing new book. I love that. I love that because I very much write, uh, Owen, for, for yourself and people your age in mind. So this is such a treat that you are part of the interviewing as well. It is a treat. I, I am a treat. <laughs> 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 so, Jeff, how did you come up with the idea for Alienated Grounded at Groom Lake? That's a really good question. I mean, I think in a weird way, 
you know, books for me and stories stay with me for a long time. So I think in a way, the concept started way, way back when I was in high school. Um, so I definitely remember going from middle school to high school where I felt like a total outsider. I didn't know how anything worked. Um, and it's daunting, you know, that move from middle school to secondary school is really daunting. And, you know, the funny thing is like, it's the same no matter what you do, because then you go to university and they have the same thing all over again. And you and I went to business school and did the same thing all over again, where you get to sit in the cafeteria, the whole thing. And one of the things I love to do with my books is I love to take the ordinary and make it extreme. So I think in a way, probably a lot of the idea and the gestation came from just the ordinary everyday experience of feeling like a new kid at school and then taking it to its hyper extreme. So, you know, what if, you know, what if it was not a normal school, but it was a school completely populated by people you didn't understand who weren't even people? So aliens, what would that be like? And I just ask a lot of what if questions and sort of drill down and ask about, well, what would that actually be like? And what would that experience be like? And why would Sherman be there? And I should probably mention the, the story briefly, the story of yes, alienated. Please. <laughs> uh, it's a story of, uh, of two siblings, Sherman and Jessica, uh, who find themselves um, to be the only two human students, the human kids at the high school for aliens at Area 51 in Nevada which is called Groom Lake, Nevada. And that's why the first book is called Grounded at Groom Lake. Um, and it's kind of a fish out of water, bit of a comedy, bit of a science fiction uh, adventure, bit of a love story, I guess you would say. Um, but fundamentally, it's just about feeling <clears throat> like an outsider and feeling you know, what it's like to go from being an outsider or a misfit to trying, trying to find your people, and even if your people aren't people at all. <laughs> I feel like you did such a good job of really portraying that feeling of not knowing where to be, just that whole unease in your own skin, um, even with other types of skin now in that cafeteria. So you did a great yeah. job. Even um, if that skin has scales. Even if that skin has scales. and there Three heads, three tongues, yeah. three mouths. <laughs> so we wanted to know, will this be a series? Are there any future plans for these characters? So I would like to do more with them. Um, having just put the book to bed, like the final copy edits and the final proof a few weeks ago. Um, I haven't started a sequel yet. I've started an outline for one. And I think one of the things I would love to do is sort of follow the academic years and the experiences that kind of punctuate the academic years. So in this book, we basically land Sherman and Jess in Groom Lake in the spring. Um, the countdown is on to the end of the school year and it's the big prom is coming up and it's the war of the world's theme. Importantly, war of the world's the book, not the movie or any of the derivative films or the plays, but, uh, the book. And, um, so in the summer, I think, uh, what's going to happen is, um, Nevada is very, very hot. Um, and it's far too hot for the students to stick around. So they're all going to get shipped off to some sort of off planetary sleepaway camp. Ah. Hilarity will ensue. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. All right. I can test that out on you. Yeah. <laughs> he likes it. Yeah. He likes it. This is some kind of space, some kind of space camp. Space camp. That's cool. That's cool. Thank you, <laughs> so tell tell me more about Awesome Media and this latest venture, Awesome Reads. Will you be writing all the books in the series? Are you getting outside authors? Yeah, that's a good question. So Awesome Media, um, 
So it's funny because I wear a few hats, right? I'm an author, but I also run a production company. And Awesome Media and Entertainment really is the production company that grew out of the um, effectively the rights to my first book. So I wrote a series a few years ago called Meta Wars. And Meta Wars is like an action, adventure, tech thriller. Oh, and I think you'd probably dig it. Uh, <laughs> it's not really funny, I wouldn't say. It's more thrilling and a little bit scary, but it's a good, it's a good read. Um, and there's four of those books. Is it, um, is it so scary that it will affect bedtime type of thing? Or uh, It has been known to keep people up past their bedtime. Okay, we sure. are not going to read that quite yet. I'm gonna <laughs> get, I need another year or two before <laughs> I'm ready for that. <laughs> okay, thank you for the, uh, for the, uh, for the warning. Yeah, just being honest, yeah, yeah. I got to put one of those parental advisories on it, actually. Totally. Um, and it's not, it's not scary, scary, but it is an addictive read. So it's less about nightmares and more about, oh, when you would probably – like your mom would come in and say, "Hey, why are you still, why are you still reading?" And you're like, "I want to find out what happens," and then she'd like walk out of the room, and you'd get your flashlight, and then you'd keep reading because to be probably turned off the off the light in no one's room, <laughs> and uh, it's like that kind of compulsive addic- addictive read. Um, anyway, so I'm digressing. The idea, so the idea behind Awesome Media Entertainment was not only to start um, partnering on the books that I've created, but also sometimes I come up with ideas for books and other people write them. So, um, myself and a woman called Julie Sykes, we write this series called princess ponies, uh, under a pen name, which has become really popular. I think there's 12 of those or soon to be 16 of those. Um, and bizarrely, I'm sort of published now by lots of different publishers, which is great, and it's a real honor, but one of the things that drives me nuts is how slow the publishing world goes. Um, And so um, we've launched this initiative called Awesome Reads, which is our own imprint. So now we'll be able to uh, publish, basically publish ourselves using all the same tools and techniques as the big, big publishers, but probably be able to do it in about half the time. Um, And Alienated is the first of those titles, but no, I'm not, they're not just me. So we we're working with different authors and talking to all sorts of different agents. And many of them are authors I've worked with in the past, um, who have also similarly been frustrated by the publishing process. And we're trying to do something a little bit different, kind of, um, you know, weave between the legs of the big guys, but offer things that are the whole idea behind awesome reads is to make reading really fun. So we're trying to put books out into the market that are just unabashedly fun. And I'm very aware that our competition with books, you know, are video games and Fortnite and uh, films and television shows. I'm getting a big nod from Owen. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I love love screen media. I love all that stuff. I don't see them as bad necessarily, but I am very aware that there's only 24 hours in the day. And if you're spending time – on one thing, you're not maybe you're not doing it on reading. So I'm trying to make books as competitive and as compelling as those screen-based media. That's great. I would even say yeah. that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, uh, I heard you a little earlier say you had a partner named Juliet. Is that one of the reasons why you choose uh, the play Romeo and Juliet, or is it like a different reason? Or why? Oh, that's did a really you- good question. That's a really good question. So uh, my writing partner on Princess Ponies, her name is actually Julie, uh, Julie Sykes. But when I was in grade, when I was in grade nine, so same, uh, same as Sherman, he's in ninth grade, we studied Romeo and Juliet when I was in high school. Uh, And it was my first introduction to Shakespeare. And what I wanted to do 
So in the book, just for the listeners, one of the things that happens is, you know, Sherman and Jess arrive at this new school and they've been kind of rooted out of their old school. Sherman is a rocketry savant. He's, uh, he's very clever, but he's really an introvert. Uh, Jess is vivacious and outgoing, and she had the lead in the school play in her previous high school where they lived on a, a military base in Germany. Um, but when it comes to casting the school play, Sherman inadvertently puts his hand up. He doesn't realize he's doing it. He thinks he's waving to somebody. Uh, but he, inter- he inadvertently puts his hand up and volunteers for the role of Romeo in the school play of Romeo and Juliet. And, of course, Jess has no intention of being Juliet up against, you know, playing against her brother. She just thinks, oh, I can't do that. Um, and so I wanted to have something, Owen, that would be an obstacle for the character. So I wanted to show character growth. So I wanted to have him have to do something that's so outside of his comfort zone that he would have to sort of grow in confidence and grow in himself uh, in, order to be, um, in order to be successful at it. Uh, and as, as you read it, you know that he's constantly tripping things up and his intentions are really good, but he's often getting it wrong. Sounds good. Sounds You accept that answer? Okay. (laughs) Um, Excellent. (laughs) So you write really poignantly about Sherman's relationship with his mother, who had recently passed away. In fact, your your book opens with Sherman sending his mother's ashes up into space, which was such a sort of a heartfelt, emotional um, revelation in the book. And you wrote... You wrote, I was determined to grant mom the one thing in death she always dreamed of in life but never achieved, her astronaut wings, which was so sad. So we were, I was wondering, was this based on an experience or loss like in your own life or did you use this more as a literary device? It's a good question. You know, luckily and fortunately, it's not from my own personal experience. Um, I mean, in a weird way, I do think everything everything any writer writes is a synthesis of their own experiences or at least the way they see the world. But in this case, it's not something I've had to draw on. Fortunately, you know, my mom's still alive. Hopefully she's listening to this podcast. Um, (laughs) Hi, Jeff's mom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to my mom. Hello. Uh, (laughs) Are you there? Uh, Mrs. Norton. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as a writer, as a dramatist, right, you're trying to find, you're trying to find ways to make your characters as compelling as possible. And I think with, with Sherman, I wanted the reader to, to empathize and deeply understand why he basically did something completely boneheaded, right? If you think about the, 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 the mechanics of what he actually does, right? So we open the book and um, it, they're, they're living on a NATO Air Force base in Germany, right? Which is kind of a stone's throw from Russia, And there's a lot of rhetoric going on right now. And even when I started the book, which is a couple of years ago, you know, Russia and the U.S. are adversaries, not allies. And we're not in the Cold War. But there's still, you know, you still don't go launching a missile from an Air Force base, you know, on Russia's doorstep. And that's basically what Sherman does, right? Because his mom always wanted to be an astronaut. And the, the backstory is that her parents dissuaded her from going into that line of work. Um, at the time they would have said something like, oh, that's not what, that's not what good girls do or something silly like that. I think we're, we know way better now, but that would be the backstory. And so Sherman wanted to sort of honor her, uh, because she went into nursing and went into, uh, became an army nurse and was killed in, in action. And so he does this completely stupid thing for the most beautiful reason. 
um, and it's the first anniversary of her death, and he launches this, what he considers to be a rocket, but of course the military would consider to be a missile, and that's ultimately what leads to them being sent away uh, never to be heard from again. So the idea is that the settlement with the Russians, uh, this family needs to be shunted away to the one place where you can never hear from them again. And what is that place? Of course, it's Area 51. Um, so yeah, so luckily not from my personal experience, but it is, uh, it is, it is a device, um, you know, that, that I think all of us as writers try and create the most, you know, the most empathetic characters possible. Even, not necessarily likable, but certainly empathetic. I think we like Sherman. Did you like Sherman? Yeah. I think he's a pretty likable guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's thinking yes. about He's thinking about it. He's contemplating yeah. that. <laughs> um, in the acknowledgement section, I just, I, I love reading all the acknowledgements sections of books. I don't know. I like would never finish a book and not read the acknowledgements. It's like this little bonus chapter for me, but I don't often see something as kind to the readers as you included in yours. Um, you wrote, um, and lastly, I want to thank you, the reader. I crafted this story for you to make you laugh, cry, and maybe think. Everything in life is basically high school, groups of people clustering in cliques trying to get by, and if we're kind to each other, maybe that's the key to peace in the galaxy, or at the very least, in the school cafeteria. Which is great. So what made you thank the reader here? Um, we kind of already touched on how high school is like everything else in life, but um, what made you in- include that? That's a good question. I think, you know, it's funny. The process of writing is so solitary, right? It's this sort of ridiculously solitary experience where, you know, it's just you and your brain and your heart and your laptop. And I'm very aware that when a reader reads a book, it's a big time commitment. And I'm particularly aware of that because I'm a really slow reader. And so, Owen, when I was your age, I actually wasn't a big reader. Um, It took me a long time to sort of gain the confidence and I probably, I wasn't a, I wasn't a great reader. So I don't know about you, but you find when you're not that great at something, maybe you don't naturally want to do it that often. Exactly. And when you nat- I agree with right? 100% <laughs> for everything you just said. Yeah. But as you also know, Owen, the problem with that is that when you don't do something very often, you're not getting any better. Um, and it took me a long time to figure out that reading is basically just something you have to practice at. Um, and so because I'm you know, was a very reluctant reader at your age. And because even now, to be honest, I'm a pretty slow reader. Um, I'm very aware that it's a big chunk of somebody's time. If they spend that amount of time with my book, it only seems appropriate that I should acknowledge that. And I should thank them for spending that time with my imagination. Um, and to be honest, you know, if, if readers aren't reading, then, you know, if there isn't a demand for the types of stories that all of us as writers are trying to put out there in the universe, then, you know, I, I, I write because I want people to, to feel something and to experience something. I don't do it for myself. I mean, it's, I like the process, but it's also a painful process. You know, I do do it with an end goal in mind, which is to try and move somebody emotionally. And, you know, I meant what I said in the acknowledgments of it. I do think, you know, one of the things I'm hoping to achieve with the book is there's this galactic diversity at play that if people can kind of put themselves in somebody. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Else's scales or somebody else's robot suit, you know, and, and, and look at the experience that other people are going through. You know, maybe we can just all get along a little bit better. Hopefully, uh, they do not get digitized. Like, uh, <laughs> um, what's his name? Oh, right. no, Houston. Uh, Houston yes, Houston. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's also a bit of a sad, uh, slightly poignant yeah, story. Yeah, I remember when that, that Pokemon. Me and my mom were like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Especially you were like, what? That's beautiful. So tell us more about your writing process. You said it was sort of painful. How do you do it? When do you do it? How long does it take you? It's good. You know, I, I, I generally write in the mornings. Um, I like to start as early as possible. Uh, Sometimes life gets in the way a little bit. Uh, this book, I mostly wrote between the hours of 7.30 and 10.30 every morning. Um, and I was pretty disciplined. I was pretty disciplined. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I've got earned a lot of stamps on the, um, loyalty card at the local coffee shop, <laughs> this novel. Uh, but this one's been a long time coming. You know, this has been a real sort of long gestating passion project. Um, and that's why I mean, sometimes it's painful, you know, you want to, you want to get it right. Um, so I've, I'm a big believer in that writing is rewriting. So there's the kind of words on paper draft, and then there's the next draft and the next draft and the next draft um, until you finally feel, I mean, I don't know that it's ever, ever finished. Um, and there's the sort of writer's cliche that a you know, book is never finished. It's just abandoned. Um, but at some point you have to say, no, this is, you know, this is the best I can do with my skill set right now. Um, you know, and one of life's cruel tricks is that maybe in 10 years time, I'll be a better writer and if I had the chance to go back and do it again, maybe it'd be better, but you don't really get that chance. So it's kind of locked in time. Uh, but yeah, I, I, um, I start early. Uh, I like to have an outline. All my books, with the exception of Memoirs of a Neurotic Zombie, I wrote with an outline um, because I'm a big believer in endings. So hopefully you guys, and I, we won't give it away for your listeners, but hopefully you guys really liked the ending of the book. Oh, yeah. Did you own? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was and, great. Uh, don't give it away. I won't. Don't, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm a big believer in the ending is the payoff for the reader. 
that you know you ask them to go on this journey with you, and then you owe it to them to give them a really fantastic, spectacular ending that's emotionally satisfying. And so with this book, I, I absolutely began with the end in mind. I knew what those final scenes were going to be. I knew roughly what was going to happen. I didn't know exactly how I was going to tie everything up, but I knew where I wanted emotionally the characters to get to. And I knew the experience that I wanted the reader to have going on this crazy roller coaster ride. Um, so I do write to an outline. And then in this, in this case, I actually wrote very, very detailed sort of chapter by chapter breakdowns, basically what was going to happen. And that allowed me to think about because there's so many characters, right? There's 38 different races of aliens, and there's lots of things happening. It's told through Sherman's point of view, but there's lots of things happening that he's not privy to. So I needed to make sure that the logic always held up, that you know, that the logic was internally consistent, and that at any time the reader couldn't go, ah, that could never happen. And I think, Owen, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've I've done a pretty good job of that. I think I've got all I've ironed out all the wrinkles of the of the logic. Exactly. After I finished, I asked, like, um, did, have you ever wrote any comics? And then uh, I looked up on the website with Mom, and then I saw that you had uh, helped produce Cortex, and um, I was wondering, what else do you have in the pipeline? Yeah, that's a great question. So you've done your research. I love it. Uh, so Cortex is a new project. Um, it's actually, I've written that as a script. It's a television pilot. And what I've now started to do is I'm now writing it as a graphic novel. Um, it's a kind of high-tech, it's basically what they call a police procedural, but it's got a little bit of a high-tech twist. So um, the closest thing in tone that's probably been on television lately would be something like Person of Interest. So a bit high-tech, a bit fun, um, crime, solving crimes, that sort of thing. Um, so that I'm really excited about. And then the next uh, book I'm writing, uh, which I'm almost done, I'm not quite done, but I'm almost done, is um, a little bit younger. I think you'd probably still dig it, but its target readership is probably a little bit younger than you, Stomp Owen. School? Uh, it's called – well, Stomp School is much younger. Yeah, oh. Stomp School is a picture book, um, although – I still love reading picture books. I don't think you're ever too old for picture books. Exactly. Um, but uh, it's called Dino Knights. And Dino Knights is a group of medieval teenage knights who ride into action on the backs of dinosaurs. I think Graham would like that. Yeah. If you could read. <laughs> How old is Graham? Uh, three. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So this, this like is not a, that yeah, young. I don't think it's very that young. Well, you, well not you sorry. That was a little bit offensive. No. Uh, I mean, he, he likes. It's well. a good idea. It's a good yeah. idea for people his age. If they yeah, can read, you might be I able to read it to him. But definitely, he would dig Stomp School. So Stomp School is perfect for sort of three to five year olds. Stomp School is uh, daycare for the world's biggest city-stomping kaiju monsters. <laughs> you would like that. Yeah. Just read it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we met, obviously, at HBS. How do you think business school has helped you produce books? Do you view words as sort of the product that your business is making, similar to, you know, it could be a perfume or it could be shoes or something, that the words are just the product that you produce? Or do you view it in a totally different way? Or do you think that business school in this realm has not been particularly helpful? You know, the, the HBS alumni folks who are lovely are probably going to hate me for this, but I'm not totally sure it's been that helpful. Um, we you, won't you know, we won't send this along to them. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't, actually, I'll give you a more nuanced answer. So okay. I think when I'm in the zone of creating, 
it's no help at all. Right. <laughs> um, I don't think about business. I don't think about the market. Um, I just simply think about character. I'm really, all I care about is, is ultimately all I care about is the emotional reaction of the reader. But the three ingredients that I feel I can put into the potion are character, you know, these characters that you want to spend time with, the story itself and the story world. So the world or the setting. And I'm a big believer in world building. That's one of the reasons why Alienated is so much fun is because it's a really rich, you know, really rich world. Um, now, that being said, I think when I stopped writing and I think about, you know, where could this book live? How should it go? You know, how should it be presented? I don't know that I try to be that smart from a business perspective, but I definitely try not to be stupid. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I do, I do probably have a lens of, you know, how, how is this, you know, how is this going to live in the overall marketplace of ideas, which is a competitive marketplace. Cause I'm you know, saying there's only so many apps in the day. Um, but in terms of like actual, you know, I'd probably be better, you know, better served with my HBS degree running a hedge fund than writing a novel. <laughs> so you wrote in a lot about like the lunch room, and and at the beginning of the book you were talking about the tables in the high school, like the cool seniors, aka the jerks, the table, <laughs> table, the cool juniors, jerks in waiting, the yearbook committee, harmless but plugged in. And the cafeteria monitors, or or were you a mere mortal? Uh, the cafeteria monitors, or were you just a mere mortal? What table did you sit at? Wow. Um, so it's funny. I you know I drew a map of the cafeteria at Groom Lake High, uh, and I figured out where everybody would sit in the cafeteria. And I do remember my own high school experience. I was definitely a sort of floater. Like I wasn't really part. You know, I could sort of, I can kind of fit in with most people, but I'd never had a, like a, a dedicated table or a dedicated tribe, if you will. Um, I will. And so, <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, it's funny, even, even today, I find anytime I'm just going about my normal everyday life, you know, half of me is engaging in the ordinary course of life and half of me is sort of always observing, and I think when you're wired that way, when you're kind of observing character and you're observing people as characters and drawing for material, basically, I'm not, you're always sort of just marginally slightly removed from reality a little bit. <laughs> uh, and I think without knowing it, I think I was probably a little bit like that in high school. You know, I was probably always just kind of just soaking it all in and taking it all in. And I didn't know it at the time because I didn't, I didn't think about writing. I didn't really give myself permission to be creative. I didn't think about I would ever have a creative career. Um, but probably without knowing it, I was absorbing stuff. So I was, I was probably a mere mortal and I was probably a bit of a, a, bit of a floater. How about you, Owen? What table are you at? Um, I'm at wherever one of my friends sits. I go wherever cool. he is. Yeah. yeah so, um, nice. any advice to um, to aspiring authors? Aspiring. Uh, aspiring authors. Advice for aspiring authors. Well, I didn't follow this advice, or I didn't follow this advice until much, much later. But I think a couple things. One is I think writers write. So. I do meet a lot of people who say something like, I've got a great idea for a book. And they'll ask, oh, great, that's, that's fantastic. So what have you written? 
They're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm really busy. I haven't had a chance to do it. And I think <laughs> my biggest thing for writers is just sit down and write. And it actually doesn't have to be that many hours in the day. It doesn't even have to be an hour. You know, even if you can eke out, anybody can wake up a half hour earlier, as painful as that sounds. Um, <laughs> Owen's like, that is painful. Very. Especially with my dog uh, sleeping at the foot of my bed. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think that's the biggest advice for people who want to write is just to write. And, and that sounds flippant, but it's not. It's, it's, I mean it very genuinely, which is you just have to – you're never going to find the time because we all – everybody's got busy lives. And especially if we've got kids, you know, life is busy. There's just always stuff competing for your attention. So the first thing I would say is just write, just write. Um, and the second thing I would say is to read a lot because – I think it's like brain training, you know, for your skill set. You know, the more you read, I think you'll just you'll have a bigger vocabulary. Uh, you'll have um, a, a better command of the language. Uh, you'll be aware of what works and what doesn't work. And when I read, I read at, I read for pleasure, but I also read forensically because I'm always aware of okay, how is this affecting me? You're almost doing a sort of meta analysis of your own experience. You know, you're reading, are you enjoying it? Why am I enjoying this? Do I want to put this book down? Why do I want to put this book down? Exactly. What, what's the author done that maybe starts to bore me? Exactly. Um, so I think I think that's what I would say is is, is write and read. And uh, I'm sure I mean there's loads of books out there that tell you how to be an author and things like that, but um, I would just say, you know, you got to write and you got to read. Um, yes. One one last question. No, I have to say something. I say something. Hold on. I saw recently that Netflix is going to start doing more uh, shows where you can choose your own ending. And I know that you have adapted the Choose Your Own Adventure series. I so did, I, yeah. I just wanted to know what you thought about that new initiative on their behalf. What do you think about that? You know, I, I have two overarching feelings. One is, yeah, that's so cool. Uh, because uh, I, I've long been a, interested in the concept of branching narrative and, and having having that as a as a fun experience for a more engaged viewer, right? Because most most linear television or film is basically a, a very passive experience. Somebody writes something, they produce it, you consume it. It's very passive. But I like the idea of of the viewer being part of the storytelling a little bit. That's my overarching feeling. The second feeling I have is, man, I was just I was just born ten years too early, um, because when I did choose your own adventure, I I basically think those are the books that turned me from being a non-reader into a reader. And so back in two thousand and three, when I optioned the rights to those books, and the movie came out in two thousand six, there was no iPad. Right. There was there's there wasn't even a Blu-ray. Um, and so what we were trying to do was to make the technology work on a really dumb set of kit, which was the DVD. You know, the DVD player is not a very sophisticated piece of technology. And we were trying to do something pretty sophisticated. Cool. And I think, man, if I could do it today, if I and I actually I've, I've sold out of that um, 
that enterprise. So I don't actually have those rights anymore. But if if I had the opportunity to have that brand and be able to wrap my arm around that brand again, uh, something like Netflix or maybe Apple, you know, to, the, the ability to do it digitally would just be so seamless. Um, but the you know the DVD is still out there. You can buy it on Amazon, and, <laughs> and uh, it's a load of fun. You know, it's funny. I, I do get uh, I, I now get a lot of emails from actually, in fact, maybe some of our, our, our colleagues from HBS who will uh, say, "Oh yeah, my 11, 12, 13 year old child just you know finally old enough for the DVD, and they love it. They've watched it over and over and over." So I oh, you might dig it. I see a plan for for a weekend here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have two, I have two things to say before we uh, depart from this amazing conversation. <laughs> um, one is I'm noticing when you like move your shoulder back, I see all these Star Wars toys behind you. I like your uh, yeah. yeah, I like your kids like Star Wars fans. So I'm definitely a child of Star Wars, and uh, yeah, my kids do dig Star Wars. I'm just looking behind me. So for the listeners. Um, <laughs> Uh, just to set the scene, I'm in my office in London. Uh, I've been living in London, England for exactly 12 years today, actually. Wow, happy 12 years anniversary. Yeah. And, uh, and you're in New York. And uh, yeah, behind me are some of my, there's some of these are new and some of my figures are from my childhood. Uh, my mother has been desperate to try and get me to clear out stuff from my <laughs> house that I grew up in. They're, they're still in the house that I grew up in, my, my folks. Um, and I'm, I'm looking, there's this I don't know if you can see this, Owen, but I've got this framed thing of R2-D2 here that says, Jeffrey Jeffrey is my space friend. (laughs) Uh, And uh, my mom gave that to me. Um, I was probably five or six, and I think the the conceit was that it came from R2-D2 himself. Now, I now know that that's not true, Um, (laughs) but I've had that ever since I was about five or six, about 1981, Um, and it's come with me to London, and it's it's sitting in my office. (laughs) What's your oh, second thing? Uh, my second thing is thank you for coming on our podcast. Visit us at zibbyowens.com. <laughs> thanks for your Fantastic. Thanks for thank you for coming on the show. I thank really, really, you. really appreciate oh, it. No, my pleasure. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so pleased. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be the, uh, the, the, first, uh, the first guest interviewed by Owen. Yes. Yeah. Good. Unleashed a monster here. He's going to be uh, <laughs> coming in all the time. <laughs> Definitely. Are right, you going to have you. your own competing podcast? I'll try. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Good, uh, good for the college Thank application. You. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Nini's Treats. N-E-N-E-S. Treats. Nini's Treats.com. Available also on goldbelly.com. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please subscribe and leave a rating. Bye. <laughs>
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.